Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Last June, Lori Lightfoot launched her re-election campaign with a video beginning with the blunt acknowledgement that she's not always the easiest person with whom to get along. They say I'm tough. Today, Mayor Lightfoot doubled down. They say I get angry. She's had some tough battles. They say sometimes I take things personally. You know what I say? They're absolutely right. When we fight for change, confront a global pandemic, work to keep kids in school, take on guns and gangs, systemic inequality and political corruption, only to have powerful forces try and stop progress for Chicago, of course I take it personally, for our city. Now, after a long and sometimes bitter campaign, Lori Lightfoot faces a field of eight challengers. She is using the final days before the election to make her closing arguments. This weekend, we're listening. Hello, I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and this is At Issue. During the race for mayor, we've tried to bring you conversations with all of the candidates on the ballot. We've offered each of them half an hour to talk about the campaign and their plans and policies. All of them accepted, though Mayor Lightfoot was only able to grant us 15 minutes. Well, you've heard from all eight of the mayor's challengers over the past few months. Mayor Lightfoot's interview is the last one to air. As the incumbent, the one who's had to defend her record, it's probably fitting that she have the last word, and you get to hear the one-on-one interview with her during this half hour. But I also think we have the opportunity to revisit some of the mayor's other recent appearances and conversations, because when you're deciding who should have your vote, you should be able to rely on more than 20 or 30 second sound bites. So this weekend, we're going to let you hear the mayor discuss some of her policies and accomplishments in the form in which we heard them expressed in detail. The other candidates have had their shots. Now it's the mayor's turn. We'll start with a controversy that picked up a political spin. The city of Chicago, as of this year, extended its parental leave policy so that all 32,000 municipal employees get 12 weeks of parental leave, up from six last year. But the Chicago public school system did not extend the offer to its employees. The Chicago Teachers Union blamed meddling by the mayor's office, but she denied it. Every single sister agency has multiple collective bargaining agreements. We work with 
organized labor. We don't impose by fiat, and nor could the Board of Education do that. There's got to be a discussion and some agreement on the part of the parties, and then perhaps that matter gets presented to the Board of Education for ratification. But we're nowhere near that yet. The discussion has to be had in the first instance at the collective bargaining table, and that process has not started yet. So I'm urging both sides, and you saw hopefully my response to um, Stacey Davis Gates, I don't sit in and, and dictate uh, local policy at the sister agencies. If there's a question that comes up and we, they want my opinion or want us to weigh on it, of course we do. But fundamentally, just as we did at the city, they've got to sit at the collective bargaining table and work it out. That's the way the process works. And when that happens and there's an agreement, presumably it will be ratified by the Board of Education um, at the appropriate time. But they're not there yet. The CTU, by the way, is backing mayoral contender Brandon Johnson, who's an official with the union. Another topic that's come up a lot during the campaign is the Chicago Transit Authority and safety on the trains and buses. Mayor Lightfoot says the CTA is getting safer, but she is the first to acknowledge that things need to become a lot better. Look, the CTA has to be safe, period, full stop. The CTA is vitally important to the lifeblood of our city. We're here today talking about economic development and regional cooperation. Public transportation is a big, big component of that. And Chairman, um, uh, the chairman of the CTA, as well as President Carter, understand that. Yes, we've made progress. We've made progress because the Chicago Police Department, under my direction and leadership and the superintendent's leadership, has committed more sworn officers to support the CTA security efforts. We've made progress because the CTA itself has committed more um, uh, security personnel, more canine teams, uh, and but we've also made progress because we are listening to the customers and we are listening to our union partners about what needs to be done to make the CTA vibrant and safe um, and reliable. One of the biggest challenges that the CTA has right now is staffing shortages. Truthfully, it's a nationwide problem, and we are doing everything that we can from the city, from our city colleges, um, and, to and the unions in collaboration with the CTA to fill those staffing voids. That will solve and address a lot of the challenges that we're seeing, but more work has to be done. Yes, progress has been made, but we've got to keep working and keep our foot on the gas to make sure that we are delivering the safest, most reliable public transportation system in the country, bar none. But as she acknowledged, that destination is some distance away. This year, though, the city concluded another journey that's been years in the making. At a ceremony at the Chicago History Museum, Mayor Lightfoot and Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle introduced the Greater Chicagoland Economic Partnership. It's an alliance among Chicago and Cook, DuPage, Will, Kane, Lake, and McHenry counties. Officials across the region have agreed to work together to bring businesses to the area rather than compete with each other. After the formalities, I sat down with the mayor to discuss why the public should care. Well, first of all, it's never been done before. This is concrete regional effort uh, to market as a region, uh, to do pitches as a reason, uh, to think about what our opportunities um, are, what our assets are, and to uh, put those forward as Chicagoland and not simply Chicago. It's never been done before, so it's a big deal. You saw the level of enthusiasm um, of our county partners, um, DuPage, Kane, Will, Lake. Um, they are all 
<clears throat> and of course Cook, all extraordinarily excited because we've created this opportunity where there is trust. Um, and that the, the, the cornerstone of this partnership is trust and making sure that we hold ourselves accountable, but we go together as a region and recognizing that as our region rises, we all rise. And that trust is <laughs> obviously key. Mm -hmm. um, this is, of course, the region in which McDonald's was lured from DuPage to Chicago. Uh, how do you keep that kind of thing from, from happening? Well, I think we have uh, agreements that we're not going to go and try to poach each other's businesses. But if there's an opportunity and someone wants to, to, uh, uh, to move, um, as uh, uh, new um, DuPage County uh, Board Chair Deb Conroy said, we look at how it can be a win for everybody. That's the difference. We're viewing these economic development opportunities through a very different set of, of lenses because we're looking at it, how we benefit each other. Uh, the the leads of this are you and and Tony Preckwinkle. Um, can we look at this as a, as a new day for the two of you, who at least perception wise have not really gotten along? Uh, is this is this a, a better? Well, atmosphere. what I would say is you, you haven't been um, paying attention then because we have been collaborating at the peer-to-peer -peer level, but also at the staff level for quite some time. You think about the most recent example of this with migrants. Right? Cook County Hospital, through President Preckwinkle's leadership, has stepped up significantly in providing support and obviously health care screenings um, and support for migrants that have come in. We look at other economic development. We look at how we're spending our ARPA dollars. There's been cooperation going on um, for now quite some time. It doesn't get publicized because some folks like to say, oh, they don't like each other and they're fine. We understand that we need to work together for the benefit of residents throughout this county, not just in Chicago, not just in suburban Cook. And we've been doing that. Another initiative launched in recent weeks was a rewrite of the city of Chicago's hiring policies to make it easier for ex-offenders to get municipal jobs. And for people who might think this was rolled out just because of the elections, the mayor was quick to establish that these efforts were things she's wanted to see for a long time. And as many of you know, the challenges that returning residents face are not only important to me, they're deeply personal. As the sister of a returning resident, I saw and see firsthand how society uh, creates barriers to prevent individuals from accessing opportunities after they had paid their debts to society and returned uh, to their communities uh, to start anew. Uh, welcome, Brother Muhammad. Um, that's why when I took office, I made a promise to do better for our city's returning residents. And as I've said many times, you can't talk about community safety without also seeing the residents who are returning home from having spent their time in IDOC or Cook County and making sure that we are doing right by them as well. The two are hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. And today we are making a critical step forward uh, in this important work by amending the city's hiring practices uh, to ensure that they are as equitable and transparent as possible for individuals with prior conviction histories. This announcement represents the continuation of the work that we began two years ago when I convened the Returning Residents Working Group. This group, uh, comprised of many of the people that are here in this room, 
um, advocates, researchers, criminal uh, legal system leaders, and those with lived experience re-entering Chicago help to outline the challenges returning residents face and recommend a set of actions the city can uh, take to address them. And through their incredible work, the group identified challenges facing returning residents across three main areas, economic mobility, uh, an opportunity, health care, um, which includes access to mental health care, and of course, housing. In addition, they highlighted overarching systemic challenges that hinder successful reentry, uh, um, and like lack of data, inadequate coordination between government institutions, community organizations, and individuals who are directly impacted. And to catalyze the city's work in eliminating these challenges and to oversee the implementation of the working group's reports recommendations um, entitled Roadmap for a Second Chance City, I brought on uh, Willette Benford um, as our director of reentry um, last year. Willette, who you'll hear from, um, uh, is a, a returning resident herself, um, works here in the mayor's office, reports directly to me, and then works to make sure that we are making real the recommendations um, from the working group. I also signed an executive order to launch a whole-of-government approach to improving the lives of returning residents through the Interagency Reentry Council. Today's announcement is the first of many initiatives to come out of that Interagency um, Reentry Council and will leverage the full power of our city government which includes each of our departments and sister agencies to better support and provide opportunities for returning residents. So challenger Brandon Johnson has campaigned hard with backing from the teachers union and other labor groups. Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia has also gotten several labor endorsements and would be the city's first Latino mayor if elected. Paul Vallis has aligned himself with Chicago's Fraternal Order of Police and has assumed a tough-on-crime posture. So you might ask, who does Lori Lightfoot consider her base of support? At a recent news conference with African-American ministers, I did ask her that. My base is all over the city. If you, if you, look, at, if you look at the people that have stood up and endorsed me, all over black Chicago, brown Chicago, white Chicago, from tip of the city to, mm -hmm. from Roseland all the way up to Rogers Park, east and west. Mm -hmm. I am the one candidate in this race that stands before a multicultural coalition mm -hmm. of believers in the greatness of our city, but understanding that we have work to do and we need to finish the job. So I believe that my base, based upon the people who have come forward, the people who have supported me, um, is a base that is reflective of the diversity of the city of Chicago. No other candidate can say that right. because it's not so. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. You're listening to News Radio 780's At Issue. I'm political editor Craig Delamore, and we're hearing from Chicago Mayor Lori Lightfoot as she fights for re-election. As I mentioned at the start of this program, the mayor sat down with me this last week to talk about some of the other big issues on voters' minds. We met at her downtown campaign office, a fairly easy walk from City Hall. I thought it would be good to revisit what Lori Lightfoot considers the signature initiative of her administration. It's the Invest Southwest program, redeveloping corridors along the south and west sides. And that is where we started our conversation. What are the things that you feel would show people on the West and the South, frankly, the whole city, yeah. that this means business <clears throat> compared to what we've seen and heard in the past? Well, look, 
Well, look, there's never been anything like it before, not in anybody's recent memory. And I've talked to lots of folks who've lived in the city for decades. And to me, the most important thing is recognizing that we can't move forward as a city if so many of our neighborhoods are lacking basic amenities and are really starved for resources. People take for granted in certain parts of the city where I live in Logan Square, parts of the north side, downtown, River West, um, uh, River uh, North, things like uh, going to a sit-down restaurant, things like um, being able to do branch banking, uh, go to a pharmacy, um, the basic amenities that you need to function, um, both as life and also entertainment, they just simply don't exist in parts of the south and the west side. And then you layer onto that um, the multitude of vacant lots in some areas, like Inglewood's probably got the highest concentration of vacant lots. Um, they, these communities have uh, suffered by not having upgraded infrastructure. It's streets, it's alleys, it's sidewalks, making um, roads safe for pedestrians, dealing with uh, decaying uh, bridges, um, and then jobs, jobs, jobs. If we want to make sure that we stop the pipeline of young black and brown boys to the streets, we can't do that if we don't invest in their neighborhoods. They need to see people who go to work every day to a job that is able to take care of the person and their families. They need to see the supports um, in their neighborhoods, on their block. So it's both an economic development tool, no question, but it's also a public safety tool uh, without, without question as well. And what people are seeing is what they told us they wanted. We spent probably three or four months when we launched the program doing listening sessions in the 10 communities um, and 12 commercial corridors that make up Invest Southwest. And it was a different answer as to what the community said that they wanted. Some communities already had um, uh, um, studies about what they wanted to see in terms of economic development. Some communities were really starting almost with a blank piece of paper, but every single one, the residents knew, we need this, we need that. And so putting all of that together, it's everything from um, streetscapes, so roads, sidewalks, alleys, creating green spaces and places that didn't exist. A universal theme is affordable housing. Almost every single one of the vertical constructions that we're doing has some component of uh, market rate, but also affordable um, housing for those neighborhoods. Um, and then also business development. The co corridors that we've chosen, those 12, are the front doors to these communities. In many instances, used to be very uh, vibrant and flourishing um, commercial uh, strips, but have now over time seen stores move away, businesses move away, a lot of vacant storefronts. So revitalizing them has also been important. The, the last thing I'll say is the other piece of it, obviously a big piece, is neighborhood development and making um, it real and tangible. But what it's also done is provided black developers, construction companies, uh, Latino uh, developers, with the opportunity to be the leads on big, important projects for their communities. You know, 10 up to um, $70 million uh, projects that's not only important for them and the people that they hire and employ, but it's also important because it gives them a platform in which they've been able to parlay that into other jobs um, and assignments across the city. Final point is, we've always said it's 
great that we do the construction. It's great that we change the literal uh, face of these communities. But every um, development that we're investing money in, there's got to be permanent jobs on the back end. So that's, those are the major components of Invest Southwest. There's a reason why people are excited about it. And, and it's broken through um, the media um, because people are actually seeing it with their own eyes. And are they seeing enough of the kind of actual construction or at least actual hiring that would make them see that this is different from when some of these projects have been talked about before, uh, some of the money's been talked about before, but didn't seem to reach the streets? Well, I think um, it's real in terms of certainly the streetscape work that, that's ongoing. It's real in terms of shovels in the ground and seeing the construction and then knowing um, who is leading uh, these developments. Um, the permanent jobs, obviously, those will come as the, um, uh, the vertical construction uh, gets completed. But there's not a person, a stakeholder in any of those communities that I'm aware of who would say anything other than, no, the, the mayor was serious. This is real. We're seeing transformation, and we believe it because we're seeing it. Let's talk about the other topic that has been uppermost, and that is public safety. Sure. Um, given that the numbers, the crime numbers, are coming down, mm -hmm. still, you would acknowledge, people still don't yes. feel safe. Mm -hmm. And if the messages stay the course, does that work for the majority of people? Look, I don't think the messages necessarily stay the course. The message is we have a plan that is working, and we need more time to be able to uh, continue to bend the curve on homicides and shootings and carjackings. You know this, but and I think your listeners appreciate, crime has been a constant in Chicago for most people's lifetime. Now, it's touching areas of the city that historically um, have not felt the touch of violent crime. But the reality is that we're in a nationwide uh, uptick of crime. Uh, and I could spit out all the statistics. But for me, we need to be the safest big city in the country, period, full stop. We get there by continuing to work with community to ask the basic question, what will it take for you to be safe? And I've been all over the city um, in the last nine months plus and will continue to uh, to meet with community stakeholders, asking that basic question, hearing from them about what they're seeing, what they need. I was recently up in the 50th Ward uh, with members of the Orthodox community, talking to them about what they're seeing, what they're experiencing, and then coming up with concrete solutions to partner with them to provide tools and resources to help them address what they've seen as an uptick um, in some criminal activity. So working together, listening, and then providing resources that the community tells us they need, that's how we continue uh, to make progress. And I recognize perception becomes reality. And too many people across our city don't feel safe. And it's my job to keep working my tail off seven days a week, as I do, along with a lot of stakeholders, of course, the police department, but also community leaders, violence interrupters, um, and a number of other soft power tools that we have to make communities safe. I will emphasize the economic development that we are driving into the south and west side is crucially important to those areas of the city on the north side, river north, that are feeling this touch of violence. Because if we don't stop that, 
that pipeline to the streets of young black and brown boys, they're going to continue um, to commit um, crimes uh, in other areas because we've got to not only inculcate them with the values to respect themselves, to respect others, people and property, but we've also got to give them hope. And the hope comes from opportunity in their neighborhoods. How do you get people to see your view versus being told by other people who aren't in this position that I can do it better? Well, look, I, I think a couple things. Um, if there was a magic solution to deal with the violence, it would have been already enacted by me. It would have been enacted by every other mayor who's faced this challenge. So anybody who comes and promises the sun, the moon, and the stars, and I've got the answer, um, they're either being foolish or they're not telling the truth. This is a complex issue, uh, decades in the making, but we are making measurable progress because we are using both our hard power to take guns off the street, to hold uh, habitual uh, criminals uh, accountable, and using our soft power at the same time to build up um, the dynamics on the ground in these neighborhoods. The fact, for example, that the West Side which has historically been one of the most dangerous places in our city, has seen um, declines in violent crime that are 25, 30%. Those are remarkable progress. And it inures to the benefit of other places uh, in our city. This is issue of public safety is one that we are all in it together. We are all in it together. And if we make sure that we focus on the places that are the most violent, the places that are desperately in need of resources and support, it is going to solve a lot of problems everywhere. Most of the people that have committed crimes, for example, on the north side, don't live on the north side. They live in other parts of the city. So providing those supports, but also holding those people accountable and making sure candidly that they get um, held pre-trial, and I've been a broken record on that. I don't think we need people charged with murder, attempted murder, kidnapping, carjacking, or the whole litany of violent crimes. They should not be walking the street pre-trial. They make our community everywhere less safe. Let's talk city council, uh, because you're gonna have a very different one. And, yes. and frankly, even with the one you have, You've operated intentionally because you don't want to do vote trading necessarily. Uh, you've operated with thinner margins than, yeah. than some past mayors. Mm -hmm. Now you're going to get a whole new crop of people. How do you establish a rapport and a working relationship uh, with what could be a very, very different group of, uh, of council members? Well, we're following um, the city council races very closely, and many of them for every open seat, there's five, six um, or more uh, people that are running. So we don't, I don't think we'll have a very good sense of uh, who is going to prevail until uh, a runoff. But nonetheless, some of these are folks that we know. Um, we've, um, as I said, watched them, watch the races very closely. But we will do the same thing that we did coming into office. I only knew uh, personally a handful of city council members but I also will lean into um, the veteran city council members who remain, who are allies, to help shape the majorities that we need to get things done on behalf of our residents. And I, I don't need a 40-plus rubber stamp uh, city council. I don't think that serves per our, anybody's purpose as well, and it looks like everything is on the, it's not on the square um, if you see those kinds of numbers. We work hard for every vote. 
We work hard uh, to get that majority together, and I think that's made us a stronger administration as a result of it. And no, I don't, and nor will I ever buy votes. There is a lot of talk about um, uh, making the city council more deliberative, more independent. Uh, do you see um, easing any of the kind of uh, controls that have usually been housed in the mayor's office, like picking uh, um, committee chairs and things like that? Well, I, I think that the, the, all the tools that the council needs to be a deliberative body already exist. Um, there's every issue that's in front of them. Uh, we do an extensive amount of uh, briefing. They get to ask questions. They call um, city commissioners uh, before uh, committees. Um, hopefully, frankly, what I'd like to see more use of um, in term two is subject matter uh, hearings so that um, people can come and talk about an issue from every different angle. The public then uh, sees it. It's transparency. You get more deliberation that way. All those tools exist right now. It's just a question of whether or not uh, members want to take advantage of that. I'd like to thank Mayor Lori Lightfoot for giving us this time as this phase of the campaign ends. If she is one of the two candidates to make the likely runoff, we hope to sit down with her for a full, more focused half hour ahead of the April election. But remember, this election day is this Tuesday, February 28th. Here on News Radio 780, you'll hear our regular news coverage from now straight through the voting. And then at 7 p.m. that night, join us for our full election programming. Rob Hart and I will be at the anchor desk with our analyst, former NBC5 political reporter Phil Rogers, for the latest returns and our news team covering the major campaigns. As for this program, to our listeners, if you want a copy of it or to hear it again, please visit our website at WBBMNewsRadio.com. You can also find our podcasts on Odyssey.com. I'll be back next week with another edition of At Issue, and I hope you'll be listening. Until then, I'm Craig Delamore, 105.9 WBBM. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. Oh, oh, oh. 
Protect your vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.